Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Gospel according to John tells us that Jesus wept. We are told this happened while Jesus was standing before the tomb of Lazarus. He was overcome with emotion at the death of his friend whom he loved. The people who were at the tomb took note of it, saying, Look how he loved him. When I think of Jesus weeping at the tomb of his friend, I take comfort. I take comfort for when I weep for someone who has died, I know that God knows my sorrow. I know that God knows what it is like to taste the salt of human tears. I take comfort because God knows what it is like to grieve for a loved one. Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the whole King James Bible and some other translations of the Bible. It is the shortest verse, but for me, it is the most powerful. Jesus wept. God knows what it is like to be you. God knows what it is like to be me. The Gospel according to Luke tells us that in Jesus' anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling on the ground. We are told this happened at the Mount of Olives just before Judas came with the crowd to betray him. When I think of Jesus worrying, when I think of Jesus' anguish, I take comfort. I take comfort for when I worry, I know that God understands my cares. When we worry about such things as the health of our family and friends, God understands that. When you are in anguish, waiting for such things as news of a diagnosis, God understands that. When you are in anguish because your parents are aging, God understands that. When you worry about the uncertainty of a job, when you worry where the money will come from, God understands that. When you are in anguish over a miscarriage or questioning why you are unable to bear children, God understands that. God knows your worries. God knows your cares. God knows what it is like to be you. God knows what it is like to be me. The Gospel according to Matthew tells us that about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are told this happened while Jesus hung upon the cross. The people who were at his crucifixion said, Look, 
he is calling for Elijah. When I think of Jesus crying out these words, I take comfort. I take comfort because Jesus knows what it is like to suffer and to ask, where is God in suffering? When a hurricane, tornado, an earthquake, a mudslide, wildfires or floods ravage the earth and sweep away what was once familiar, leaving lives and homes in shambles and leaving the victims asking where God is and how he could allow this to happen, I take comfort. I take comfort that God knows our suffering. The second verse of the hymn, Lord, whose love through humble service goes like this. Still your children wander homeless, still the hungry cry for bread. Still the captives long for freedom, still in grief we mourn our dead. When the non-believer says, there is no God, how can there be? For if there was, he would not allow his people to wander homeless, to cry for bread, to be held captive, and to be brokenhearted. I say no. No, there is a God, and he has not abandoned us, but is with the homeless, with the hungry, with the captive, and with the brokenhearted. He knows this suffering because God suffered upon the cross. I take comfort that Jesus knows our suffering. That Jesus knows what it is like to feel abandoned. God knows what it is like to be you. God knows what it is like to be me. I am comforted that Jesus died on a cross for a sinner like myself. I am comforted that on the third day he rose again and destroyed our death. I am comforted that I am assured eternal life through him. But maybe even more than these, I am comforted by Jesus' humanity. I am comforted that God became human just like me, that God lived my life, walked in my shoes, and faced the same challenges, that God wore my skin, that God worried, cried, suffered, dreamed, napped, relaxed, propped his feet on the table, much to his mother's dismay, needed time alone, stubbed his toe and swore, argued, laughed until his side hurt, and got immensely ticked off. And of course, this brings me to our gospel lesson this morning. In John's gospel, Jesus changes water into wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Then he is the life of the party. He is the guest who saved the day and the bridegroom from embarrassment. I'm sure the folks in Cana of Galilee loved him. I'm sure they hated to see him go. Hey, Jesus, let's not wait until the next wedding to get together again. You're always welcome here in Cana. You just be sure to bring more of that delicious wine. A few days later, we see a strikingly different Jesus. We see a royally mad Jesus. We see a Jesus who fashions a whip of cords, yells at people, telling them to get out of here turns over their tables and scatters their money about the place. Even the poor sheep and the cattle are not immune to his tirade in the temple. He makes a scene, and during Passover, no less. He quickly went from the guy who changed water into wine into the guy who lost it completely in the temple. From wedding guest to temple pest, 
Jesus is not a happy camper. And again, I take comfort in this. I take comfort in Jesus' display of humanity. I take comfort that the Son of God opened a can of you-know-what in the temple. I take comfort that the Savior blew a gasket. Just as I take comfort in Jesus' weeping, His anguish, His suffering and questioning where God is, I also take comfort at His anger and injustice. He drove out the profiteers. He rid the temple of those who were trying to get rich quick off the religious sacrifices of the people. He removed those who saw the temple only as a means of business and transactions. Jesus went against the status quo. He literally turned it over, scattered it about, and drove it away. And that is what we are to do as well. We are called to make no peace with injustice. Injustice should make us royally mad, just as it did Jesus. It goes against our Christian way of life, our Christian calling, and is contrary to the gospel. We are called to drive out injustice. We are called to rise up against it as the body of Christ. We are to be our brother and sister's keeper. As Jesus cleansed the temple, we too are to cleanse society from injustice. We are to give a voice to the voiceless, to proclaim a new way to those left behind, to get upset with the establishment, to reach out to those on the margins of society. Jesus did not stand for injustice, and neither will we. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? This is a vow in our baptismal covenant that we are often asked, and the people of God always respond. We will with God's help. Amen. Amen.